Welcome to the Grace to Run Your Race conference hosted by Rhema Family Church. Our guest minister is Pastor Lawrence Lim. Oh, come on. Praise the Lord. Glory to Jesus. Amen. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I send greetings from New Creation Church in Singapore. Pastor Joseph Prince and Wendy, he sends his love. I just want you to know this is a great honor for me to be here. I don't take this lightly. I feel humble every time I get to do this. You know, those of you who were here last night, I shared about my life. Well, to cut it short, you know, I was the bottom of the trash. Not just trash, but the bottom of the trash. My life was in a complete mess, but the grace of God has saved me, transformed me, turned my life around, and today He has given me a life worth living. I'll tell you this, grace is not a message, a, I'm not preaching from a textbook. It is my life. Amen? It is what I live by, I believe in. It is the very person of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's because of His love for me, it's because of His grace towards me that my life is completely transformed. Amen? You know, even as I stand here today, I'm just in awe that I get to do this. I'm completely undeserving in every sense of the word. If you knew me, those of you, you know, I shared a little bit of my life last night, but you just need to know this. It's the grace of God that I'm here. Amen. And I count two greatest blessings of my life would be, number one, that I know His grace. Number two, I get to preach His grace. How awesome is that? I get to. Amen. For those of you who are preachers out there, I need you to know this. You know, many times when we prepare for a sermon, our heart is that we want to bless the people who will come, the people in our church, the people who will come for our seminars. And the danger is this, you can draw water for people to drink, but you can die of thirst yourself. You see, you are busy giving drink, giving the water of life to the people who come to listen to you, but you never drink it yourself. Amen. So pastors and leaders, you need to know this. As much as you want to teach others, you must first receive that which you want to teach. And we are, and we need to be in a constant receiving mode. You know, for me, I, you know, we should read the Bible every day, but I don't like to use the word should. You get to. It's a joy. Amen. To open up the scriptures and to let the word of God, right, the word of Christ minister to your heart. We need to feed on its word every day, but it is not something for you to do, as in it is a responsibility. It is a joyous thing. Amen. This book, the Bible, is the greatest blessing you have in your life. And we need to be constantly receiving as well. I listen to the gospel almost every day. I listen and I keep listening. Of course, I, I listen to my senior pastor, okay? But I listen to other preachers as well right? But I listen and I'm in a constant mode of receiving because I understand this. I'm not just here to preach and to teach. It must come out of an overflow of my life. Amen? I'm here to give because that it is an overflow of God's grace and love towards me. It is not like I'm doing a job. This is not a job. This is my life. Amen? Preaching grace is not something that I do it because, you know, I read it in a textbook I'm supposed to right? It is my very life. Amen. Grace has transformed me and given me a life worth living. That's why I can stand here to share it with you. It is life and may it be your life as well. Amen. Grace will totally revolutionize your life. Amen. 
Pastor Prince wanted me to share a few words, and you know, I just want to uh, share this. He told me specifically, right, and I think I've shared it quite a few times, but I need to share it, you see. <laughs> right? I'm obedient, right? He said to Rama, to say this to Rama Family Church, that you're sitting under a great pastor. Pastor Tony is a great pastor. Amen. He's a man of God, so you are blessed to be in this church. And they have given 10 years of their lives to be in Australia, to minister to you. I know it's a sacrifice, but they have given their lives because they love you. And we need to hold such people in high esteem. Amen. And for all the other pastors and leaders that are here, I want you to know this. We honor you for the work and labor of love that you've given unto the Lord. I, I myself am a pastor. I know it's not easy sometimes. You know, we always put up a smile. You know, we need to show to the congregation that all is well. Sometimes not all is well. But as pastors, you need to live your life by an example. I know it. I've been through it, been a pastor for more than 13 years. I'll say this, we honor you. Right, keep on doing what you do. Amen. God's grace is abundant. See His supply. Right, and your greatest days of ministry are ahead of you. Age is only a number. Amen. You are never determined by your age. Right? I also want to honor two very dear persons to me, Reverend Carl and Jan. And you may not know this, but they were with our church even before I joined New Creation Church. I joined New Creation Church in 1995. I think they were there maybe in the 80s. Right? When the church was like 50 to 100 members. Right? They were there from the start. They had been with us. Uh, they married Pastor Wendy. They were there even before Pastor Henry got his driving license. <laughs> right? It's like I wasn't even in the church. And they have seen, um, they've been with us. They are faithful friends. Through the years when, you know, people speak against Pastor, against the message, against our church, they stood by us. Right? And they have been with us. We honour you, Reverend Cole and Jan. Thank you very much for your faithfulness. That's what ministry is all about, amen? Right, and for all my other friends here as well. Praise God. So I'm honoured. Praise God. I'm honoured to be here, amen? So today I want you to know this. I shared this on the first night, but I want you to know this, that we can never stray away from this truth, that God loves you. Amen? Oh, but I've heard it before. You need to hear it again. You know, I like a good barbecue, and I'm in Australia. You know what's the amazing thing? You know what makes this nation great? It's the barbecue. <laughs> Everywhere I go, in every place that I stay, they provide a barbecue for you. Right? And I was just asking Hee today, hey, you know, let's just uh, check out the hotel that uh, Pastor Tony has so graciously put us in. So he went to check out the hotel, and lo and behold, even in a hotel... They have a barbecue. We saw it, it's like, hey, <laughs> even in a hotel. And the only place in the world where you get to barbecue kangaroo meat, my friend, is in Australia. Amen? So we may try that. Barbecue kangaroo meat, man. Right? With some, what? Maybe some Singaporean chili crab sauce, yeah? <laughs> so this is a great nation. Thank God for Australia, amen? You know, I love Australia. Right, I love the Aussies. You guys are so chill, so relaxed. You are completely opposite of uh, an Asian, you know, and a Singaporean. Man, we are intense. We don't know how to relax. 
So every time I come here, I learn how to take it easy, man. I know how to chill. Thanks for bringing that into my life. You guys are living the life of rest without, you know, even revelation from God's Word. <laughs> you are already at rest. Amen. So praise God for you, man. You're showing us the way. Yet, even though you're so at rest, Australia is achieving great things in the world. You know that, right? Economically, right? And you guys are the stalwarts of justice and righteousness in the world that we live in. Australia and the US. We always honour you for that. You know, thank God for Australia. You opened the door for our pilots to be trained here. right? Our tankers also trained here. right? So Australia has a great um, relationship and friendship with Singapore. right? So thank you, Australia. You are a blessing to Singapore. Amen. And from tiny Singapore, I hope I can be a blessing to you by ministering to God's Word. Amen. God loves you. He cares for you. I do not know what your opinion of God is tonight. Do you know the thing about man is this? The opinion that we have of God, sometimes it fluctuates and change. If you're not established in the love of God, in the righteousness that you have in Christ, Sometimes your mind will stray. There are days you think that God loves you. There are days you think He doesn't love you. And you base it on your behavior. When you're good, you think He loves you. When you're not, you think He doesn't love you. But that is not the truth, my friend. God loves you. I want to change and challenge your opinion of God today. God loves you with an everlasting love. It says in Jeremiah 31 verse 3, Why, why, why everlasting? Why? Why does He need to tell us that He loves us with an everlasting love? Why? He wants you to know that His love for you doesn't change. Amen. It's not just for today and gone tomorrow. Love you, loves you, and will always love you. Amen. This is God's heart towards you today. You need to know this because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done at the cross. God is for you. Amen. God is for you. Everything has changed. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when He came on earth, He changed everything when He went to the cross. You know, I was just um, speaking to uh, another minister. Right? So we were talking about, you know, he's, uh, he's not really for, for grace, so to speak. Right? He's partly for grace. So we were talking and he said, yeah, you know, yeah, I believe in grace. I believe that God loves us. But we still need to teach the Ten Commandments. So I told him, but that's not what the Bible says. And he said, no, we need to teach them that God loves them. Yes, but they need the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments will be a guide for their life. The Ten Commandments will teach them what to do and what not to do. And the Ten Commandments will help them to be holy. Right? You know, I don't have a relationship with him, so I didn't want to you know, we can agree to disagree, right? It's cool, we, we are still friends. And that's what I want to tell you tonight, the same thing. If you disagree, I'm cool, right? We can agree to disagree, but we can fellowship around Christ. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, right? He went to the cross, He died for our sins. By believing in Him, we are saved. That's cool, let's, let's fellowship around that, okay? But since you're here and I'm preaching to you, I'm going to clarify some things. <laughs> That's the opportunity given, right? Since I got a mic. And so he said that we, we need to be under the law. 
We still need to be under the Ten Commandments. It's a guide for life. It's, you know, tell us what to do. It helps us to be holy. I disagree with that. And there's a reason why I disagree with that. I want you to know this today. Everything that I share with you, it must be examined by you through the Word of God. Let the Scriptures be our number one authority. Don't just listen to me, right? Examine everything that I say. Is it in accordance to God's Word? If it is not, challenge me. I also want to give you an opportunity. There may be questions that may arise when I speak to you. You may think, oh, what about this verse? What about that verse? What about the words that Jesus said here? What about this portion of Scripture in the Old Testament? You know what? I give you the opportunity to write your questions on a piece of paper, but it must be related to the sermon, okay? Don't ask me who is 666, the Antichrist, and when is Jesus coming? I don't know, right? But anything that's related to the message, pen it on a piece of paper, keep it anonymous, and pass it to the front, right? I will go through the Pastor Tony, and we'll see what are the questions that we want to answer to help you guys out. So I know that you may have questions, so write it down. Pass it forward, and I'll be glad to answer them uh, tomorrow night, okay? So coming back, are we supposed to be under the law today? Now, if you look at your Bible, it is divided into two main portions, right? You know, right, if you have a Bible, they are divided into the Old and the New Testament. The Old Testament contains the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses. The New Testament contains the New Covenant, the Gospel of Grace, Amen. Are you familiar with the Old Covenant? If you're not, turn with me right now to Deuteronomy 28. It says in Deuteronomy 28, so we're going to Bible school today, we're finding out about the Old Covenant, okay? Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments which I command you today, then the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then we jump to verse 15. Deuteronomy 28 verse 15. But it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today, then all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And it goes on to list down all the curses found in Deuteronomy 28. So in essence, the old covenant is this, if you obey all the commandments, not just... 9 out of 10, all the commandments, right? God will bless you. But if you don't obey, then God will curse you. That's what we read, right? So that's the old covenant. That's the law of Moses. But what is the new covenant? You know, we know the old covenant, but many of us don't even know what is the new covenant. Am I right to say that? Many of you, you're familiar with the old covenant. In fact, when I was growing up, as a believer, my challenge was I always had this image of God as someone in heaven with a huge baseball bat. And He's looking at me, watching me, scrutinizing my every move. And the moment I sinned, He whacked me with the baseball bat, right? When things go wrong in my life, 
I know that it's because I didn't make it, I didn't cut it, right? So I've always had this image of God that God is a judge, and He is a judge. He still is a judge. Let's not forget that. He is a judge. But you need to know that the cross has changed everything. You need to know that. Is God a judge? Yes, God is a judge. Is God holy? Yes, God is holy. Is God against sin? Of course, God is against sin. Does God want to punish sin? Of course. In order for there to be justice in this universe, sin must be punished. Am I right to say that? If I'm a judge and you commit a crime and the punishment for your crime is to sentence you to jail for 10 years, I can't look at you and, hey, you know what? You're a good person, right? Even though you commit this crime, right? You've been helping the poor, right? You go to the old folks' home to help, you know, the elderly there. You know what? Because of all these good works, forget it. I let you go free. That's not a good judge. There's no justice. You understand what I'm saying? And if there's no justice, then can God still be God? No. His, this universe, His kingdom is upheld because He's a just God, because He's a thrice holy God. So we got no issues with the law, rightly so. If you sin, the punishment for sin is death. And God is right in giving us the law. The law is holy, just, and good. But can you be holy? Can the law make you holy? And are we still under the Ten Commandments today? I need to tell you this today. When Jesus came, it says in John chapter 1, verse 17, Apostle John, he wrote this, he said, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. There is a difference. If you cannot see the difference, you need to know there is a difference. There is a difference between the old and the new. Everything has changed when Jesus came and He died on the cross for our sins. Everything has changed. The cross has made a difference. A world of a difference to you and to the world. God has changed His mind about man. Actually, He always loved man. But man is proud. Man doesn't even know that he is proud. Many of us, we still think that we can be a good Christian by our own efforts, by our willpower and our discipline. You cannot. You cannot in and of yourself. You're nothing. I know I'm useless altogether in and of myself. Me, I know. Maybe you don't. I thought I'd let you know. But I also know something about you. Actually, we're about the same. In and of yourself. We don't cut it, my friend. Even if you know the Ten Commandments, you don't have the power to fulfill it. Only He can. And you need to trust in Him. But we're not under the old today, we're under the new. Turn with me right now to Hebrews chapter 8. Are we still under the Ten Commandments today? Or are, are we under both? Actually, that is the greater danger to be under both. Hebrews chapter 8, it says this. Now we're going to read from the Bible, okay? So that you know that I'm reading from the Bible. It says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant referring to the law of Moses had been faultless, if it had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them not with the law, 
There's no fault with them. But finding fault with them, the Israelites, he, the book of Hebrews is written to the Israelites. He says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according. The new covenant is not according to the old, which is the law of Moses, that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. Because I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. In that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old, it's ready to vanish away. Do you see that? There is a new covenant today. If you enter into a contract with me, right? If you enter into a contract with me, and maybe a few years later, I renegotiate and we enter into a new contract. Which contract should you follow? The old one or the new one? The new one. So which contract should we follow? Even logically, we know that we shouldn't be following the old and it shouldn't be a mixture of both the old and the new. God has given us a new covenant that is established on better promises. It is a better covenant. God found fault, not man. God found fault with the first covenant not that the covenant has faults, but we have faults. He gave us the law, but we cannot be holy by the law. We cannot. Because we don't have it in and of ourselves. And God knows. The law is like a mirror. Ever look into the mirror? A mirror is faithful and true in telling you what you look like. Right? When you look into the mirror, and if you see ugly, my friend, don't blame the mirror. Right? If you see ugly, then it is ugly. The mirror doesn't lie. That's what the law does. You look into the mirror, hey, the law gives us the knowledge of sin. It, real, it shows us that we are sinners true and true. There's none righteous, no, not even one. God gave the law to the nation of Israel for 1,500 years and no one could fulfill it. No, not even one. The best of them, David failed. David had a heart for God. David loved God. He's a worshiper. He's a psalmist. He wrote the Bible. David failed. Committed adultery and murder. Solomon, he had wisdom. Solomon failed. He turned to idolatry. Samson, the strongest man, Samson failed. Every single one of them, no one could make it. They, they had to depend on the blood of bulls and goats to take away their sins temporarily. So even in the old covenant, under the old, God provided a way out for them. That they had the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins, my friend. It provided a temporal covering because one day, God knew that He would send His Son 
and through His one sacrifice at the cross, He will put away sins forever. So that is why there's no more sacrifices even until today, since the time Jesus died till today, there's no more sacrifices because there's no temple anymore. The veil has been torn. God's Spirit is able to assess all men because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The cross has made the world of a difference. Everything has changed. We are no longer under the old, but we are under the new. A better covenant established on better promises. Amen? But, but I heard my minister friend told me that the reason why my family went through a car accident is because I sinned and God put a curse on us. Have you heard that before? You know, my heart breaks when I heard something like that. I know in our church, there was a couple who lost their child and there was a minister who came to a prophet, so-called prophet, came to them and told them, do you know why you lost your child? You lost your child right? Because of your sin. Because of your sin, a curse has come into your life. What is that? Is that the God we know? That when we sin, He will take our child away? Honestly, can we talk logically here? Is that the God you know? Was, was that Jesus when He walked on earth? Do you see Jesus doing that? Hey, you know what? You sin, right? Tomorrow your child will die. Hey, 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 for you, hey, you sin, right? You sin, right? Right, you know what? You, you lose your eyesight or you, you catch leprosy. Is that the God we know? But yet, we are, we are people telling Christians that that is God. I'm telling you, I thank God for grace. That's why I thank God for this ministry. I thank God for, you know, my senior pastor. I thank God that he dares to preach the truth. And with all the people coming against him, the lies that they speak about him and our church. I thank God that we are people who are willing to speak the truth. Because this matters, my friend. Your life matters. Your believing matters. Can you imagine going through life thinking, oh no, you know, I, I should expect this. Oh, this cancer, maybe it's from God teaching me a lesson. I deserve this. Is that God? Is that Jesus? Have you ever seen him ever in the Gospels giving sickness to anyone? Pronouncing a curse. Can I tell this? Everything that Jesus did was positive. The only time he cursed was he cursed the fig tree. He cursed the fig tree. Yes, he did. You know why the fig tree? Let me just cut the story short. We don't have time, okay? But the fig tree, I believe, because in, when Edward and Eve sinned, right? right? I believe the, you know, they sowed uh, leaves to cover themselves, right? I believe those were fig leaves, okay? So he cursed the fig tree because he was cursing self-righteousness. Right? So it's a typology. He's cursing self-righteousness. Because self-righteousness has no place for any man. You cannot make yourself holy. You cannot make yourself righteous before God by your good works. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, your self-righteousness, they are like filthy rags. You know what's filthy rags, ladies? I hope you, I don't embarrass you. Filthy rags are the soy. Uh, what do you call that? <laughs> well, you know, right? Soy menstrual pads. That's your self-righteousness. It's not even your sins, you know. Your sins are not the soiled menstrual pads, my friend. Your self-righteousness. You think you have done this, you have done that. You can stand before God. That is soiled menstrual pads, my friend. Can I just tell you this? Everything has changed because of the cross. 
Today we have a better covenant established on better promises. And that is why we are bold and we dare to say that God is for me. You cannot just say God is for you. You need to believe and apply it for yourself. God is for me today. Oh, but pastor, you don't understand. I have sinned. I don't cut it. My friend, if all of us, after all has been said and done, and we measure ourselves to the holy standards of God, who can stand? You think any one of us can? The best of us, we fail. That is why we are justified by faith today. Amen? You know, last time we talked about the best-kept secret to a victorious Christian life. And you know, we, we, I, I preached really strong on how through the grace of God, through His love for me, through His love for us, we can overcome any addiction and any bondage. But just want to share this today. You know, I, I preached strong yesterday, but I thought I need you to know this. Right, the Christian life is not one where you focus on holy living. I know that's good. Don't misunderstand me. I'm for holy living. But you don't focus on it. You don't focus on, oh, today I think I, all my thoughts better be, I better be loving God and be, I better be loving people. You don't focus life like that. It's, it's, uh, it's horrible, right? You don't focus on holy living. You focus on His love for you. Amen? Every day, you just need to wake up knowing that, you know, Lord, I believe that you love me. But you need to connect with Him practically as well, right? You can meditate on His Word, right? Or you can listen to a message. Let His love flow over you. Receive His love every day because every day we forget. Charles Spurgeon says he needs to listen to the gospel every day because every day he forgets. So we need to listen over and over again. And when you receive His love and His grace, unconsciously, you will love your wife, become a responsible father, and you grow in the way you live your life to glorify the Lord. Don't focus on overcoming that sin. Focus on His love for you. When you focus on His love for you, right, the sin will fall off. Amen? Like a tree, how does a tree bear fruit? When a tree receives the sunshine of God's love and its, and its roots go into and receive the nutrients of His grace and is established in righteousness, the fruit will come. But can I tell this? If you are a new believer, be patient with yourself. Amen? Right? Growth takes time. Right? You can't grow a beard when you're eight years old, my friend. Right? But wait till you are maybe 14 and 15. Right? Then it will never stop growing and you have to shave every day. It takes time. And we need to be patient with one another. Right? That's what the church is for. Amen? You cannot force someone to grow. But keep feeding them and they will grow. Keep telling them about the love of God and they will grow. And you want them to grow from the inside. You want it to be a real change that is from the inside out. It's not just an outward change. I've been there, you know. I've been to a church where it's all about what you do on the outside, right? And you put up a show, but deep inside, you know that you are struggling. You know that there are skeletons in the closet. You know that you don't cut it. But in church, you know, you put up a show, right? You put up a smile on your face and, you know... It's a sh but is that what it is? Don't you think the Christian life should be real? 
we are not just, you know, Christians on Sunday, but every day. You think so? You don't think? <laughs> Can I tell something? You know, when I, when I share with uh, the leaders in our church, I always tell them this. It's like I can train them to become great care group leaders, right? To be great counsellors, to be great pastors, caring for the people, right? But that's not it, you know. That's not my focus. I want the people in our church to be great people. So what if you succeed in ministry? So what if you can preach up a storm? So what if you can organize mission trips and do humanitarian work and you're a great care leader, but your own life is suffering? Everything is in shambles. Your marriage is in ruins. You're not a responsible father. I think I have failed if those are my leaders, if those are my volunteers. I always tell them, we want to raise great people, great fathers, great husbands and wives, amen, great employees. And it must be a real thing. It's not like, you know, you're good on Sunday and, and on Monday you're a wreck. <laughs> I'm not sure if that is... Can I say, if that's your Christian life, you're missing it, man. Can I tell you what is available? What is an option for you? Every day is a glorious day. Every day, you can sense His love for you, right? And you wake up and God loves me, right? And the fruit just comes and it's, it's a life worth living, my friend. This is the real deal. I'm, telling, I'm talking to you about real life. I know it because I've been through it myself. It can be all fake, you know. We can just put up a show, but we want the real thing. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. It truly is. It is a life worth living. Amen. It is a glorious life. Are you experiencing it? Right. You know what? Start slow, okay? Keep on listening. Amen. Keep on listening. Keep on believing in your heart. Sometimes it's a struggle for us to believe that God loves us. Maybe we have too much baggage that we carry from our past, right? And you know, one of the saddest things was, um, you know, I, I do marital counseling in my church. So I meet people, you know, we have a wedding interview. Before they get married, we need to, you know, get to know them, find out everything's okay, give them some guidelines before they, you know, uh, get married. So I was talking to them and I realized that the couple that I was speaking to, Right, they were both divorcees, okay? I'm not sure what is your theological stand, but in New Creation Church, we do marry people who are divorced, okay? Um, never mind. <laughs> we do. You don't? Okay, whatever. Right, so, you know, they're both divorcees. I talked to them, right? And, you know, the lady who's a divorcee, it's like she kept telling me, you know, I'm not sure if I deserve this. No, I think that, you know, I've, I failed in my life. You know, I'm a divorcee. I don't, I'm not sure. So she's not sure. And she's holding, you know, guilt and, and shame in her heart. She doesn't know that, you know, whether she deserves a, a second chance in life. When I heard that, I was like, my heart broke. Right? It's like, where do you hear all this? And, and she showed me scripture. We got no time to go into this, okay? You know, Jesus' words and, and all that. And, and Jesus has some strong words. And rightly so. Because Jesus elevated God's view of marriage to men, right? But does that mean there's no second chance for people who are divorced? You are quiet. Can I? And they tell me from Malachi, 
God hates divorce. Yes, it's in the Bible. I know God hates divorce. Who doesn't know that? But do you know that God loves divorcees? God hates sin. I know that. And rightly so. But do you know that God loves the sinner? Do you know that God is a God of second chance? If God is not a God of second chance, then pray tell me, how come David could continue as a king after he committed adultery and murder? You tell me about Paul, right? Paul persecuted the church. He's behind the murder of Stephen. You tell me, should he be the apostle of grace? You tell me, Peter denied Christ three times with cursing and swearing. Denied Christ, right? Should he be the apostle who spoke up on the day of Pentecost and got 3,000 born again? Is God a God of second chance? Can we get this straight and right once and for all? If there's any portion of the Scripture you don't understand and it seems to tell you otherwise, can we just use a clear portion of Scripture to define everything that we know about God? It is clear in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God so loved the world. That's God's attitude towards the world. Oh, but, but in the Old Testament, that's the old. I already said, the cross of Jesus Christ has changed everything. So whatever you, whenever you read the Old Testament, can you don't use it on your people and curse them? And, and on yourself and think that God will do the same to you. There are some scary portions, you know. Let's be honest, right? And maybe your mind is trying to wrap around it and say, but, but I, heard, I heard Pastor Prince share, but, but when I read the Bible, it's like, I'm confused. Don't be confused. The old is the old. The new has come. The old is the old. The new has come. Amen. Everything has changed because of the cross. Amen. Everything has changed. Oh, oh, let me tell you this. God will judge America. If God doesn't judge America, God will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me tell you this. If God judges America, God will have to apologize to Jesus Christ. Okay, what are you talking about? Right? Sodom and Gomorrah, right? 50. So Abraham, right, talk to God. If there's 50 righteous, will you destroy them? No, I won't. If that's 40, went out to 10. The, the thing is, he stopped at 10. <laughs> right? Should have gone on. Right? If he had gone on to one, then maybe. Right? But God delivered the righteous out. Right? Then he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? So, you're telling me today in the US, we don't even have 10 righteous persons. Right? And every time we see terrorist attacks, typhoons or earthquakes in the US, God is judging America. God is judging America. Really? This is judgment from God? You know, if the terrorist attacks is judgment from God, you agree with the terrorists. They think it's judgment from God. Yeah, amen. They say amen to that. God is not judging America, my friend. God loves America. And there are definitely more than 10 righteous in America. What are we talking about? Even in this room, if you, are, if you believe in Jesus Christ, all of you are righteous. No judgment is falling on here today. Judgment is over and done with. We need to really understand what has happened when Jesus came. Grace and truth has come. And the truth is grace. And grace is the truth. Amen. Grace has come. The world has changed. How do you get someone born again? when you evangelize to them, 
right, and tell them that God's going to judge them, if that is the reason why they come to your church, then can I tell this? In a short time, they will leave. They can't keep up. I remember after 9-11, the churches in America, they swell. That, that weekend, whoa, everybody came. Everyone was scared. The end times are coming. But after that, they left. Do you know why even you come to church? Do you come to church? Do you tithe? Do you give? Do you serve? Because you think if you don't, God will curse you? Is that the reason why you're seated here today? Are you? No, you know. Or do you think I preach because, right, it's my job or if I don't, then, you know, woe am I, I'm cursed. No. I preach because this is my life. And I pray that you don't come to church because you have to. Because you get to. I want to. I want to hear more about Him. When I see Him, I become like Him. You know, the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ at the cross, it brings peace to our heart. Therefore, having been justified by faith, Romans 5.1, right? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, the finished work of Christ brings peace to our heart. But the wonderful person of our Lord Jesus Christ brings joy to our soul. You know, that's why I love the New Testament. I love the episodes of Paul, but I also love the four Gospels. I treasure the four Gospels. Every time I read the Gospels, right, it's like I see Jesus and He's so beautiful. He's so beautiful. Everything that He does, right, they prevented the children from coming to Him, the disciples, right? No, let them come. Loves the children. And when I see Jesus, I see God. And I see my God, your God. How beautiful is the Lord Jesus. Do you remember um, the woman at the well, let's, let's look at it, okay? Alright? Praise the Lord. I hope you are receiving something today. You know, I say a lot in a short time and I speak fast, you know, that's because I'm Asian and... <laughs> I don't know. It's just me, you know. John chapter 4. The woman at the well. Divorcee. How does God treat divorcees today? Oh, let me tell you Jesus' words. You tell me Jesus, so let me tell you what he did. His actions toward the divorcee. It says in, and when he gave those words, I say again, you know, I say a lot in a short time, you must catch this, okay? It's to elevate what God's idea of marriage should be, and rightly so. Right? Don't you think it's, if anyone could, can tell us, hey, you know what? You shouldn't kill, kill people. It's, it's God. He's elevating what it should be. <laughs> And rightly so, He's God, right? But that doesn't mean He doesn't love you. And that doesn't mean, okay, if you committed a sin, any sin, He doesn't love you. We need to understand who God is and what He has done, amen? Now listen, John chapter 4. So it says this in verse 4, John chapter 4, verse 4. It says, but He needed to go through Samaria. Do you see that? He needed. Who needed? The Lord. The Lord needed to go through Samaria. Now, you must understand, Samaria, they are not Jews, you know. They are pseudo-Jews. Okay? Right? These are actually Gentile believers, but, you know, if you read back in the Kings, what happened is that in order to keep them, so they actually sent false priests to teach them. So they kind of follow a semblance of the 
a Judaic uh, religion, but they are not really Jews. They are actually Gentiles. So, but Jesus needed to go through Samaria, right? So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that J- Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, so it's a famous well. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, set us by the well. It was about the sixth hour, okay, 12 p.m. The sixth hour is 12 p.m. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then a woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The Jews hated Samaritans, all right? Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who, is, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us a well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So Jesus said to her, Go, Call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Listen, you have well said. So he complimented her. You have well said. I have no husband. Then he revealed to her her life. And I'll tell you why right later. For you have had five husbands, right? And the one, boom, you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. Wow. So he complimented her, right? He said, you have well said. Then he told her about her life, five husbands, and you're living with someone who's not your husband. That's an outright sin. That's sexual immorality. Are we agreed on this? Yes, we are. And, and he said, in that, you spoke truly. What a gentleman. But, Does this shock you? Does this shock you that Jesus will speak in this way? He's gentlemanly. Did Jesus say, Oh, you adulteress! Did did Jesus say that? Did Jesus correct her? He just stating the truth. Did he correct her? You have sinned. Stop this. Break out of your relationship. Did he? I think, honestly, as a pastor, I, I... could have, okay? You know, in church, you know, but for, okay, we'll talk more about that later, but you know, as pastors, one of my role is we do confront sin, in case you do not know, in a great church, we confront sin, okay? Right, but when I read this, it humbles me, you know, even if I have to confront sin, I, I need to do it with grace. You know what I mean? We're not here to kill people, my friend, right? But look at the gracious words of our Lord. Look at how gracious he was towards this woman. She's a sinner. We know that. Look at how gracious he was towards her. Beautiful, right? And the woman said to him, Sir, 
I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of, of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Right? God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Then it's the crunch. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Do you know Jesus did something here that's amazing? He didn't do this when Nicodemus came in the middle of the night seeking the Lord. He saw him as a rabbi, right? He didn't reveal himself to Nicodemus who knows the Bible. He's the ruler of the synagogue, right? Someone who's well-versed in the Bible and the Torah, right? But he revealed this to someone who doesn't know anything, a sinner, a so-called lowly sinner in our eyes. He revealed himself as the Messiah. Isn't that beautiful? God, and He said, the Bible said, He needed to go through Samaria. Why? For her. For her. Her life was in ruins. He needed to go through Samaria so He can extend love and grace to her. Do you know why He revealed her sins to her? Because He wanted her to know that He knew everything about her and He loved her. And he wanted her to know, it's not just him. He is the Messiah. The Messiah who is God, God loves her. He knew everything about her and he loves her. Then what happened is this woman got so excited in seeing the Messiah that she went in the cities around and became an evangelist. Jesus never asked her to be an evangelist. Never put her in ministry, go through Bible school. She became an evangelist when she received the grace of God. Amen? You want your people to be evangelists, right? You want them to do the work, right, of the ministry. But they need to be inspired, knowing that God loves them. Then, you know, evangelism is a fruit. It's not like, you know, we force them to evangelize. It's a fruit. It's like, I, I want to tell people when there's an opportunity, I want to. Right? I want to. It's not, I have to. That's a burden. I want to. She wanted to. Because she met the Messiah who knew everything about her and loved her. She wanted to. What about Zacchaeus? Tax collector. Jesus saw Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus, tonight I want to eat at your place. Extended grace to Zacchaeus. Everyone hated Zacchaeus. Everyone hates tax collectors, okay? Everyone hates tax collectors. You know why? Even today, we still do. Don't we know? Just kidding. Right? Everyone hates tax collectors. Right? They work for the Roman Empire to extort money from their own people. They are traitors. Right? And they can be downright evil. And they had money and they had power. So they abused that. Zacchaeus was the tax collector. Right? But Jesus said, hey, I want to eat at your house. To eat with someone in the culture of that time means that person is very dear to you and you honour that person as well. So he wanted to eat at Zacchaeus' house and he did. And what happened? 
right? The Bible doesn't say what occurred in the conversation. But all I know is this, Jesus extended grace to Zacchaeus and at the end of the dinner, Zacchaeus said, I will give half my goods to the poor. Whoever I've cheated from, I'll return fourfold. Would you say that he is doing something good? Would you say that there is repentance? But how did that repentance come about? My friend, it's the goodness of God that leads one to repentance. Amen? It's not the judgment and severity of God that leads one to repentance. Would you say that Zacchaeus is doing good works? Yes, he is. But how did that come about? The goodness of God led him to repentance. God's love and grace extended to him, make him want to change. Come on. Amen. So you tell me, should I preach the grace of God? This is what changed my life. And this is what will change your life. When you receive His love for you, it will change you. When you receive His grace for you, it will transform you from the inside. It's not just outward modification. It is inward heart transformation from the inside out. Amen. What about a woman that was caught in adultery? You know, the Pharisees are evil. They set it up. How can you catch someone in the middle of adultery unless you set it up, right? And where's the guy? So they set it up so that they, you know how evil is that they would cause someone to sin so that they can test Jesus. So they caught this woman in the adultery, right? And they push her in front of Jesus. What should we do? Right? Moses and his law said, we should stone her. What should we do? And what, how did Jesus respond? What was Jesus' response? Did he say stone her? He stooped, stooped down and he wrote on the ground, right? Stony ground. Right? Then he stood up, right? And he told them, he looked into their eyes and said, he who is without sin amongst you, let him throw the first stone. And those who are older, left first, followed by the younger. Because the people who are older, who have lived longer, you know yourself, right? You know, you know you have sinned, right? So they left. The younger ones took some time to, I, yeah. <laughs> you know, they have a shorter time to process, right? So they left. So Jesus was left with the woman. Now, what does the law say? If you commit adultery, you must be stoned to death. God's law, God's word. That's the law. But, and who can stone her? Only Jesus can. He's without sin. But what did Jesus do? Did Jesus stone her? Woman, where are those accusers of you? They are not here, Lord. She recognized that He is Lord. And what did Jesus say to her? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This beautiful verse, words spoken by our Lord, it's grace. You see, you have sinned and you're worthy of death. But God doesn't want to condemn you. And when you know that it's God's heart towards you, one of love, right, God tells you, you know what? Go and sin no more. There's no compromise, you know. But the power to sin no more comes when you realize God is not mad with you. For your sins, God loves you. Isn't that beautiful? Right? We are all for holiness. 
but you need to receive the gift of no condemnation in order to walk it out. Amen? Someone asked Jesus, right? One of the Pharisees say, you know, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered and said, the greatest commandment is thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? And the second is this, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the entire law. You, you read that before? Right? So, if we can summarize the Ten Commandments, it's this two. We just need to follow this two. You shall love God and you shall love your neighbor. So this is actually the Ten Commandments. You love God and love your neighbor. Right? Rightly said. But it is still the law. It is still the law. The question is, can you? So the old covenant says you need to love God. You need to love your neighbor. That's the old covenant. Right? But everything has changed. Today, you need to understand this. It says in 1 John, we love because He first loved us. So love is the fulfillment of the law and we need to love today. When we love, we fulfill the law, right? But how do we get there? Right? Is it you loving with yourself, your own strength to love? No. We love because He first loved us. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a propitiation for our sins. Love is not us loving God. It's God loving us. When you love God and you focus on loving God, that is the old covenant actually. Today is God loving you. I know it's good to tell people to love God, but they don't have it. They don't have what it takes. You need to tell them that God loves them, then they will have what it takes. Then when they are loved and they're overflowing with, with an appreciation to God, they will want to love Him. They will want to love others. Amen? And love is the fulfillment of the law. So we love because He first loved. That's why the Bible doesn't say, husbands love your wives. The Bible says, husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church. You cannot take the other portion out. You know what I'm saying? The Bible doesn't say forgive. It says forgive even as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's the difference. It's a full cycle of grace. You need to receive His love, then you will love. When you receive His love, you become holy. Amen? So every day, don't focus on becoming holy. Don't focus on loving God and loving others. Focus on, I'm love. And you really are. Amen? You really are. Can I invite the key bodies to come up? You really are love by your Savior. Amen? You are really loved by Him. And when you receive His love, you become holy. It is love that constrains us. Amen? It is His love that transforms us from the inside out. Isn't it beautiful? It's all about Him. It's all about you. Oh, so, so Pastor, are we still under the Ten Commandments? <laughs> we better answer that. Right? You know, I prepared a lot, but you know, I, I don't want to keep you tonight. Right? You know, we just want to share what the Holy Spirit wants to share. And, you know, Acts 15, it says this. Can I just summarize it? You know, go back and read it for yourself. Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. 
certain man, right, uh, has come and crept into the church and told the believers that they need to be circumcised, the Gentile believers at that time, right, and said, you need to keep the Ten Commandments, the Law of Moses. So this man crept into the church. These are Jewish believers, but they didn't, they didn't have a revelation and they said, the Gentile believers, they must be circumcised. Ouch. Or the guys say, ouch. And you must keep the Law of Moses. They said it. Right? So, Paul and Barnabas, they had a discussion with the Jerusalem, Jerusalem Council, the early fathers of the church, and it's recorded in the Bible in Acts 15. They discuss, and you know what's the decision? The conclusion is this. We jump straight to the conclusion in Acts 15. Are we supposed to go back to the law? Are we supposed to obey the Ten Commandments today, the law of Moses? And it says this, right? In verse 8, Peter spoke up and said, so God who knows the heart acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, the Gentile believers, just as He did to us and made no distinction between us and them, justifying their hearts by faith. Your hearts are justified by faith, my friend. Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? We test God when we put the law on our people. You want to test God? It's not in a good way, my friend. Do you want to test God today? Don't test God today. The cross has made a difference. But we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Salvation for the Jews and the Gentiles is the same. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're not saved because you're circumcised, because of how good you are, whether you follow the law of Moses, or you're saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they jump in, and all the way, let's, let's, let's go to the conclusion, okay? The Jerusalem decree, and it says this, right? They wrote this letter, verse 23. They wrote this letter by them, and it says this, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles, Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law. Are we under the law today? To whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who also report the same things by word of mouth, for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and it's recorded in God's Word to lay upon you no greater burden than this necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from this, you will do well, farewell. Are we supposed to be under the law? Are we? You tell me. It's in the Bible. I read. That's all I did. I read. We're not under the law today. Oh, oh, when you say that, are you saying that, that I can do anything I want? My friend, do you want to do anything you want? You want to? Jesus loves you. He knows everything about you. You want to? Do you? I believe that every child of God, they don't want to. Do you want to? You don't. I know you don't. I don't. You see, love constrains us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. It's not about the law, you know, oh, how can I be holy without the, the Ten Commandments? 
How was Joseph holy? Joseph was before the Ten Commandments. He said no to Potiphar's wife, who tempted him day and night, my friend. And he was a young man, and he should be bitter with life. His brothers forsook him, left him for dead. He can say no to immorality. Why? He knew God loves him. He knew it in his heart. You see, we underestimate love. We underestimate grace. You know what I'm saying? It's not, it is not your love, it's His love for you that is so powerful. And when you receive His love, the Bible says we are more than conquerors through Him who has loved us. And, but we forget. I just want to share with you something that I, that I see in, in our wonderful Saviour. The Bible says, Jesus, you know, He's altogether lovely. In the Song of Songs, it says this, right? That He is the fairest of 10,000. Do you know what that means? It means our Lord Jesus Christ is a reference to our Lord. He is the most beautiful being that ever existed in this universe. He, he is the most glorious. He has a preeminence today. Right now, Jesus is God, right? He's a part of the Trinity, right? But He, he takes the preeminence. He's altogether lovely. In every way, He is lovely. Beautiful in every way. And we see that glory in the Gospels. When He became man, He's also beautiful. Right? When He walked on earth, the world has never seen a more beautiful, loving, compassionate man. But He's not man, He's God. When He walked on earth, He healed the sick. Right? He lifted up the downcast, the prostitutes and the tax collectors. He was their friend. He cared for them. He loved those that society would shun. He cared for them. He touched the leper. You're not supposed to touch the leper. He touched the leper and healed him. He raised the dead. He had an amazing compassion. This is our Saviour. Beautiful in every way. He's not just, and I believe that our Lord Jesus, He was beautiful outwardly. Because He was born of God. Through Mary, of course. But He had the perfect DNA of a perfect human being and of God. No one existed like He. When He was born on earth, every part about Him was perfect and He was beautiful, literally beautiful. So whatever pictures you saw of the Lord in documentaries, you know, let me tell you it's not true. Let me tell this, if you want to know, right, someone who's, the Lord is beautiful in every way. Every part was symmetric, you know, His beauty personified. That's why the Bible says, the fairest of 10,000 altogether lovely. But I want you to know this, in Isaiah 53, there's a prophecy about our Lord. It says this in verse 2, He has no form or comeliness. And when we see Him, there is no beauty that we should desire Him. But wait, didn't you just tell me that Jesus is beautiful? Yes, He is in every sense of the word, but Prophet Isaiah was speaking of the suffering Messiah when he went to the cross. At the cross, he forsook his beauty. And let me tell you this, it wasn't just a spiritual ugliness. He was literally deformed and ugly. The Bible says he was first captured by the priests. Then he was put in a, a dungeon, right? First and foremost, the prison, the the priests, the, the guards of the priests, the high priests, already beat him up. Then they sent him to the garrison. 
and they say they took a reed. You know, sometimes we, we think a reed is like a very thin piece of stick. Actually, a reed is quite a hard, kind of like, can you imagine a baseball bat with me? Right? They put a crown of thorns and they beat his head. So I believe that every blow that struck Jesus' head, I'm not sure if you have seen people who have received blows to their face before. It was swollen, right? Not just swollen, there will be internal bleeding and every part of him was swollen with the beating, but that's not enough, right? So his face was mangled and disfigured. And not just that, they put him at a pole and they laid stripes upon him, 40 minus 1. And when the stripes were laid upon him, the cat of nine tails, it contains broken glass, bones and whatnot, and it will tear at his skin. And his entire skin and flesh will be torn out. That's why there's a messianic prophecy that says, I can see all my... He saw all his bones. You know why? He could see it because they took out the flesh, they took out the skin, and he could see his bones. He was in excruciating pain. Every part of his face was swollen. Right? Every part of him was revealed. It was just a... a you know, it's, it's a mess of blood. And he became ugly. That's why the Bible says he has no form. He doesn't look like, he doesn't resemble a human being anymore. Or comeliness. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should, there's no beauty left. He became hideous deformity at the cross. Hideous deformity because he became sin for you. Those stripes that he bore, you know why? It was so that you can be healed. He took your transgressions, your sins. Why was he wounded? They punched him and they slapped him, they spat on him. Why? Wounded for your transgressions. My friend, the sins that you committed, every single sin was punished in the body of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. He took it. He took it for you and he never held back. Not once did he say, forget it. He did it. He knew everything that would happen to him and he went to the cross for you. He knew it, you know. Jesus knew everything that would happen to him. How many times it would slap him, how much it would hurt him. Everything he knew, but he didn't turn away. The Bible says he gave his back, he gave his beard to pluck out his face so that they can spit on him. Do you know how beautiful that is? His courage is beyond that of any mortal. We shy away when a punch comes. He took it. <sighs> he loves you. He loves you very much. He gave everything, poured out everything for you. This is love. And when you understand this love, you know what? You are transformed. Don't focus on what you can do for Him. Just let Him love you. When you know His love, everything changes. Life has a meaning. There's a reason to live for Him. Amen? There's a reason we can go through everything for the Lord because it's for Him. And it's all for Him. This is, this is what we need to come back to. It is for Jesus. Let Him alone be magnified. Let Him alone be glorified. Let our lives be about Him. Let our lives shine for Him. And we want to do so because He took everything at the cross for us. Surely, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. 
and by His stripes, we are healed. Amen. My friend, you are loved. Amen. You are loved and will always be loved. Can we worship the Lord? Can, can we just, you know the Lord is here. Can we just close your eyes? Jesus is here. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, you are beautiful. Your face is all I see. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, you are beautiful. Your face is all I Your eyes are on this child. Your grace abounds to me. Oh. Yes, 
Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me so. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just I just want to pray for for you today. You know if you feel that in your heart you do not experience the love of God for whatever reason it may be today I want to pray for you and as I pray for you I'm just declaring that the Lord Himself will embrace you and you'll experience His love God wants it to be real. God wants you to experience it afresh. So right now, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for you, my friend. The Lord loves you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. And the Lord embraces you right now. And I declare over you, my child, your sins are all forgiven. You are the righteousness of God in Christ, my beloved child, and I will always love you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just commit this time into your loving hands, and Lord, we thank you that we are loved by you forever, Lord. Forever. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.